This morning as I arrived, I was talking to Pastor Zach about the intern that you'll be having. You'll be having a summer intern here. And I can remember I served a summer internship. Uh, Oftentimes that happens with pastoral ministries. You go and are with a pastor and you spend some time with them. You kind of hope and learn different things. And one of the things that the pastor that I interned with was he, he said, you, you don't need to use breath mints. Don't use breath mints. He said, use cloves. And he had a little can of cloves. You know, you can get them in the store on the spice rack. And he would pull out a little clove and he'd hand it to me. And so you just put it in. And that way he said, it's not like you're that chemical in your mouth. It's something fresh. It's something natural and things like that. So then I get into ministry and I say to my mom, I said, you know, I need a can of cloves. So she buys me a can of cloves. Well, you know how it is when you're new, you're young, you're hopeful and all that kind of stuff like that, and you're kind of over-anxious sometimes. And so I wanted to make sure everything was good. So I would not pick a piece of clove out. I would dump some in my hand at the conclusion of the service, and then during prayer I'd slip it into my mouth and then go out. Well, I did that as my habit for several weeks. And at the end of several weeks, one of the deacons took me aside. He said, brother, he said, uh, some of the people are a little concerned. I said, what's the concern? He said, well, are you chewing? (laughs) He said, they've noticed that there's like this little, I said, no, it's cloves. And I pulled out the can and showed him and he goes, you need to back off on those just a a little bit. (laughs) So uh, sometimes it, it, it isn't as we see it, right? Life isn't always as we see it. I, I did not chew uh, and uh, I haven't or never did. Uh, if you do, you know, that's something to take up with someone else, but not with me. <laughs> but it was obvious, my, the congregation I was with, they were not in favor of that. But this morning, what I'm going to do is I'm going to share with you two stories, and in those two stories, we will see something happening, and we might conclude something that really isn't the point And so hopefully we can bring it back together and be able to say, yeah, that's what it is that the Word of God is trying to teach us this morning so that when we leave this place, we are on a better track and we are doing what it is that God wants us to do. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. Because what we're going to do this morning is we're going to see two times in Scripture where the question is asked, God, do you care? Do you care? That's quite a bold question to be asking of God, Jesus, in this case. And when we hear the questions, there is a scenario that creates that question. So we'll go through the two passages, look at the scenarios, and hopefully conclude a couple of things about what's going on. So why do we ask God, does he care? Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. Now as they went on their way... Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Uh, Why did Martha ask, do you care? Well, there's a problem, and the problem was significance. 
The problem was significance. The problem of significance prompted her to ask that question, do you not care? I am doing everything, they are doing nothing. The human solution is tell her to work. That was the human solution. Now, Martha is doing a good thing. Hospitality is a good thing. And Martha was doing a hospitable act to the Lord Jesus. The problem was the good thing became a bad thing because she was craving significance. She was craving someone to say, Martha, you're awesome, you're amazing. We see you, we hear you, that kind of a thing. Uh, We get it. She wanted to do her very best because Jesus was there. And she had heard of his reputation as a teacher. And so she wanted to do something special for her guest. All the pressure and expectations, however, are self-inflicted. Jesus does not walk in and say, here is my list of demands before I'll meet with you or before I'll sit with you. It was all Martha created, Martha initiated. And verse 40 says it very well. Martha distracted by much serving. Distracted. The idea of distracted was being pulled in many directions. Pulled in many directions. Um, Is the house clean? Is the floor swept? Are the pillows puffed? Is the meal cooking on time? Will they all come out together? Will something be cold? Will he not like it? All of these things racing through her mind. She is distracted about many things. The idea of being pulled, dragged away. All good things, but the good things have become bad things because they were distracting her and driving her to say, please, somebody notice me. Somebody see me. She was craving significance. Uh, That was her problem. She was very busy, very active. I went to a pastor's conference one time, and David Jeremiah was the speaker And when he was speaking, he says, there's always talk about, uh, I would rather uh, burn out than rust out. You know, I'd rather work really hard in ministry and burn out than do nothing and rust out. Dr. Jeremiah's point was, well, either way, you're out. (laughs) So you need to figure it out. You need to find the balance of that action and the attitude. Because that's what's happening here. In verse 40 it says, And she went up to him and said. I think this is a beginning meeting for Martha and Jesus and Mary and Lazarus. Because in John chapter 11, Martha does this thing again where, remember, her brother had been dead and she sees Jesus and she walks right up to him and said, If you'd have been here, this wouldn't have happened. So this is part of Martha. She gets aggressive sometimes. This is what happens. And uh, the attitude is the issue. She is very active, but she is drawn to have the attention on herself. Jesus isn't noticing her. Verse 40, she says, do you not care? She forgot that the significance was not her and her hospitality. The significance was Jesus is here. That's the significance. So the problem is, uh, she wanted the significance. Why do we say God doesn't care? It's because sometimes we want the attention on ourselves. The problem is we want to be seen. We want to be known. We don't want someone else to be getting all of the attention. We want ourselves to be drawn in and focused upon. I may have shared this with you before, but I coached youth football with when my son was in third fourth fifth and sixth grade and uh, we would play on the high school field on sunday afternoons 
and uh, we would have a guy announce the games and everything. You know, it was kind of a fun thing. And uh, the guy would announce, of course, when someone made a tackle. He would announce when someone ran the ball. He would announce when a pass was connected and things like that. Uh, after one of those games, uh, a couple of parents came to me and they said, um, we don't like the announcing. I said, well, what's, what's wrong? Is he saying something that's offensive? You know, I'm on the sideline. I'm not really paying attention. Is he, is he being offensive? What, what's he? They never say our kid's name. I said, well, what does your son do? I said, well, he never catches a pass, but he's close by. He never makes a tackle, but he's, he's close by. He never makes a block, but he's close by. So maybe he should announce the names of everyone so that no kid feels like they're being left out. Significance. Sometimes we need to remind ourselves and even our children that significance is not what this is about. Being recognized is not what life is about. And we will get to what is significant in just a moment with Jesus Christ. But sometimes we get caught up in ourselves and that creates a problem where we look at God and say, don't you care? Don't you care? The second scenario is found in Mark chapter 4. So if you would take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 4. In Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41, it reads like this. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? The second problem that prompts us to ask, God, do you care, is circumstances. Circumstances. Waves are overwhelming. The human solution, blame Jesus. The circumstances are overwhelming to them. They are on the Sea of Galilee. We've talked about this before. Uh, the setting of Galilee, it's surrounded by mountains. And so this kind of a thing, the storms, it's not an unusual thing. But this one was so fierce and so great that the waves were spilling into the boat, breaking, filling the boat faster than they could bail, faster than they could get the water out. Uh, when we were in Israel last summer, we saw a boat that was similar to this. 10 to 15 people in this boat, plus other boats, taking on water, experiencing an overwhelming sense that this thing is going to sink. And where is Jesus? He's asleep in the back of the boat. I, I love the detail. Sleeping on the cushion. What's the cushion? Well, it's the one that everyone used to sleep on. <laughs> And so Jesus, he was tired, he goes to the back, he takes the cushion that everyone uses to sleep on, and he falls asleep. Asleep. The good news and the bad news kind of go together. 
the good news is that this shows the humanity of Jesus. This shows the humanity of Jesus, and He understands. Uh, This morning, are you struggling with agony and turmoil in your heart over a decision you have to make about something? Jesus understands that. He was the one in the garden agonizing over the decision of going to the cross. The humanity of Christ is real. Have you felt the slap of rejection or being ignored? So is Jesus. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. The good news this morning is the humanity of Jesus. He understands. Are you, are you weary from that beat-down feeling that Satan is just, he's just having his way with me? Jesus understands. Because remember, 40 days, 40 nights, then he confronts Satan who comes after him. Jesus understands this morning it's all you can do to drag yourself out of bed, to step another day because you're worn down and weary. Jesus is asleep in the back of the boat because he was tired. He understands. That's the good news. The tired and worn out Jesus understands. He understands your circumstance. He understands you this morning. Uh, that, that is really good news. <laughs> but that's also bad news because he understands. There is nothing that's going to slip past him. So don't try to hide in some kind of situation or circumstance that you find yourself in and think, well, I've, I'm going to avoid Jesus. You're not going to avoid him. He understands. He knows. He's there. He's been through it. And keep in mind, these disciples, they are not rookies on the water. The majority of them have been in a boat several times before and seen storms many times. Probably Matthew, the tax collector, was the one that was most nervous, right? But they were were overwhelmed by this storm. This storm was so great, it says in verse 38, they were perishing. They felt like they were perishing. Literally, they felt like they were being destroyed by, by the darkness, by the wind, by the rain, by the boat filling with water. They felt overwhelmed by this. But keep something in mind. The disciples are in this storm because they were obedient to Jesus. You remember in verse 35, Jesus said, let's go. And what did the disciples do? Let's go. The disciples went. Remember, Jesus doesn't shield us from the storms. Jesus doesn't shield us from the storms. The storms of life are part of what happens to us. There is not all of a sudden this marvelous thing where we trust Christ and there are no more storms. Instead, we are obedient to Christ and the storms really begin to come. But there's good news, and we'll get to that later, that Jesus is with us. Verse 38, it says, They woke him, not one, but all, in a chorus of screams. I'm sure there was a debate, don't you think? The disciples were debating, you do it, you do it, you wake him, you touch him. And they're like, no, let's all go together. Because if one's going to get in trouble, we'll all get in trouble. So they race over to Jesus and they scream at him, do you not care? Don't you care what's happening? It's interesting, the account of Martha and Mary is only in Luke. The account of this storm is in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. 
And in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they, they all use different words. They call him teacher, they call him Lord, they call him master. Whatever it is that they screamed out at that time, uh, they weren't even conclusive in their own minds what they said. But what was a reality is that they said to a carpenter's son in a boat on the sea, don't you care? Don't you care? This is probably a terrible question to ask. It's a sad kind of question to ask. Followers of Jesus, disciples of Christ, terribly and awfully confronted by their own failures, they look at Jesus and say, don't you care? You say, well, how how do you know that? How do you know it's such a bad... Because I've asked the same questions hundreds of times. And it's the wrong question to ask. But because of my flesh, I, I come up short and I say... Sometimes, God, don't you care when circumstances overwhelm me? The disciples are are here. Don't you care? Well, these are two problems, uh, significance and circumstances, and they both prompt that question, do you not care? Perhaps you have been in either of these places in your life, and this morning we have a solution for you. But before we reach the solution, please understand that God never rebukes those who ask, do you care? How did he respond? Both to the disciples and to Martha, he will respond with tenderness and love. The second thing to remember is God's actions don't prompt the question. It is never something that God is doing that prompts, it's always me. I am the one that has come up short. Significance, it's all about me. In the boat, I did not trust him. And so it's about me, it's not about God. He is always there. He is never away. And let's be honest and admit the same thing. Whether it be Martha or whether it be the disciples, I do this. I ask God this question. So this morning, let's hope that we can learn and remember the things that he does in these passages to set aside their anxieties, to set aside their fears, and to create an understanding that significance is not yours, circumstances don't overwhelm you, and so create the problem. So first, the first thing we see is back in Luke chapter 10. So if you'll turn back to Luke chapter 10 and verse 41, we see that the solution to this problem is to establish rank. Establish rank. Verse 41, Martha, Martha. There is a sensitive, tender tone. He says, you are anxious and troubled. This is a stark contrast to Mary. Uh, Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. She is sitting. She is listening. Now, don't miss this. Too many times there is this misunderstanding of how Scripture bends Let's keep it straight by understanding that God, through Christ, welcomes everybody. He is no respecter of persons. If you were in a normal Jewish setting, you would never see a woman at the feet of a teacher in that culture in first century. Never. If they were fortunate enough, they might be in the back listening in. So Jesus, the master teacher, invites Mary and she sits at his feet, which is completely unheard of. But that's Jesus. He welcomes us all. 
There is no respecter of persons. Even if the culture demands it, he welcomes them in. Uh, and, and she's listening. She's not just hearing. She never speaks. She just soaks. It, it's fitting of what John says in John 27 where he says, My sheep hear my voice. And Jesus responds, I know them and they follow me. Mary is sitting at the feet of the shepherd because she is a sheep. She is there. I, I don't want to be harsh here, but listening is a lost art. I, I think I shared with you too that I, I'm in a new role at the school where I teach. I don't just teach anymore. I'm now a part of the administrative team and I handle some discipline things. And it's amazing to me how, like for example, I'll go to a classroom, I'll open the door to ask for a student to come out. Students will boo me now. I'm okay with that. But then I will take the student into my room and I will start to say something and the student will just start talking and just start going. And finally, I I now start by telling the student, don't say anything, just sit down. And then let me talk. Because they've lost the art of listening. I don't know, probably 70 to 80% of the students I bring into my room, they've done nothing wrong. But because I'm kind of big and ugly and aggressive, I guess. You know, they think they've done something wrong. And so they come in trying to defend themselves. You don't need to defend yourself. Just sit down and listen. It is a lost art to opening our ears and to listening to Jesus. Uh, The solution is to establish rank, create a priority. Jesus, He is speaking. Uh, Martha is going everywhere. It says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but one thing is needed. Now, don't mistake here. Don't make a mistake here and say, Jesus is saying, listen, all you need to do is make one dish. You know, baking bread would have been wonderful. He's not saying that. He's saying the one thing that was needed, Mary's doing it, and that's listening to me. And Mary is at his feet listening. Mary has chosen to listen to Jesus. You say, well, how do I listen to Jesus? Through the Word of God. 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 You say, well, that's way too simple. That's the beauty of it. The beauty of it is to find ourselves in the Word of God, reading the Word of God, listening to the words of Jesus. When you love someone, you take time to listen to them. So this morning, you say, I love God. I love Jesus Christ. Think about how much time have you spent listening to him. And then calculate that in your mind and say, okay, I have spent this much time listening to Jesus. In comparison, I love my wife. If I were to spend that much time listening to my wife as I've listened to Jesus... How would that relationship be? You say, well, you know, I gave him five minutes in the morning, whether he needs it or not. (laughs) Now think about that. Five minutes in the morning, maybe ten, reading your psalm, reading your devotional from Daily Bread. You got your ten minutes maybe. You say the word of prayer. Ten minutes a day, that's 70 minutes for the week. Divide that to the person you love. How would the relationship with your wife be if you spent 70 minutes a week listening to her or to your husband 
or to your child. You say, well, she would run me off. (laughs) Or my kids, they, they wouldn't know anything. That's exactly right. If you love someone, you spend time listening to them. Finding ways to have the Word of God fill our hearts and fill our lives. We need to be listeners. And as a result of listening, we discover things. I love being a dad. I, I have two sons, and, and I, I, I truly, uh, I'm not very good at it sometimes, but I love being a dad. And my youngest son was in sports all the time. And you know how it is with sports. There's always ebbs and flows, successes, failures. And he was having one of those kinds of slump times. And I said to him, I said, son, you need to listen to me. And he goes, what? He was about 10 years old. And I said to him, I said, son, if I took every single kid that was in your grade and that you have ever played basketball against and I were to line them up against the wall and I put you in that line, I said, you would still be my number one draft pick no matter what. Uh, He listened. It helped to know that dad still cared. Dad still loved him. In spite of his failures, his shortcomings, I still loved him. I was still interested in him. And that's what happens sometimes. We have to grab significance from somebody else when all we need to do is stop and listen to God say, I love you. You're important to me. You're vital. We forget that. And so then we look at other places to say, you're important. I love you. Instead of having the words of God fill us. And that's what Martha had done. Martha had gotten so busy with so many things that she had forgotten that Jesus was the priority. That Jesus should have been the the first in the rank of things to do. Who we are in relationship to Him is more of our concern than what we do. That's what this story is telling us. Who we are and what we are in relation to Jesus, that's what's so important. This is about rank. How do you prioritize? How do you rank listening to God? How do you set this up where you say, Martha, Martha, you're drawn in so many directions. You need to remember one thing. The most important thing. David understood this in Psalm 55, verse 22. David said this, Cast your burden on the Lord and He will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. Martha is all distracted and worried about so many things. And David says, you know what? I I cast my burdens on the Lord. Peter, who was in our other story, but Peter also said the same, same thing in 1 Peter 5, verse 7. He says, cast all your care upon Him. See, if you have a relationship... If you are talking and listening to God, then you will naturally turn to Him. You will naturally cast. The idea of cast in 1 Peter is the idea of to to take a blanket and throw it up on a horse or a mule. You know, just kind of cast it up there. Or to take your coat off and, and put it on a chair. You set it aside. Your anxieties, Peter says, casting all your anxieties, you're drawn in so many directions. Think of Martha. She's drawn in so many directions. Instead, what she needed to do was be focused on listening To Jesus. Peter ties it up beautifully when he says, on him. Because he cares. You don't need to find significance from somebody else because he cares. He cares for you. Dr. Warren Wiersbe had this as his favorite 
Bible verse. Uh, Wearsby was back to the Bible, Moody Church, and uh, author of the B series. You probably have seen those books. And his favorite verse was Psalm 16, verse 5. It says, The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. Then you drop into verse 8 of Psalm 16, and it says, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand, and I shall not be shaken. I have set the Lord always before me. That's a priority. That's the rank. He's first. Alistair Begg said this. He says, Beware the trap of a performance-driven Christian life. Some of you are like, Great. Why is he preaching this? JC's going, We need volunteers for VBS. (laughs) We need people to be working. We need doers. Ministry fair next week. And this guy's talking about not working, but listening to Jesus. But you see, this is Grace Chapel. You are scripture-soaked individuals who need to draw in that scripture and the words of the Lord Jesus Christ and then do. One of my favorite verses, and it aggravates my son. My son, I think I told you, he, he graduated from Butler and he's a sports performance coach. So he's training athletes and all this kind of thing like that. And in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, it says, but... Uh, uh, godliness. Choose godliness because bodily exercise profits little. <laughs> you see sports performance. And I, I say to him, that's, the point is don't exercise. The point isn't stop working. The point is that if you're just working, that's good for this life. But if you step out and get hit by a truck, you can be as healthy and physically fit as you want to be. You're still dead. But I said, if you have bodily exercise... That helps in this life, but then if you link the godliness to it, it's not only good for this life, but the life to come. So when you see we need nursery workers, you better spend time praying and talking to the Lord and filling your heart with Scripture so that you can then minister in the nursery. Vacation Bible school, you fill your heart with what it is that God is saying so that you can minister not just for this life, but for the life to come. You see, this morning... The solution is ranking things properly, prioritizing what it is that God wants us to do. Someone explained this to me a long time ago. The difference between a good coach and a not-so-good coach. A not-so-good coach, you're in trouble, he calls time out, he brings you into the huddle, and he says, you guys need to work harder. Come on, I need more effort. I need you guys to work harder. I need you guys to, to work harder. I need you to do more. Then you have the great coach. He calls time out. He brings you in. And he says, listen. He says, you need to be in the middle on that zone. You need to be in the back when they're throwing the ball in because they're throwing it over our heads. You need to be in these spots. You see the difference? It's not about effort most of the time. It's about what you know. And so if you're serving and doing what it is that God wants you to do, you have heard his instruction and you're able to move forward in doing what it is he wants you to do. Prioritizing, ranking, establish rank. So the solution to our fears is to establish rank. God is significant. The second solution is found if we go back to Mark chapter 4. In Mark chapter 4 it just says, remember who rules. Look at what happens in verses 39 and 41. Jesus rebukes the wind. He rebukes the wind. 
In verse 39 it says, And he woke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. Why do they ask? Why do we ask? Because the reality of circumstances came between them and their understanding of the word of God. Rank, the word of God is important for Martha. For the disciples, just remember the word of God. And remember, he rules. He's in charge. Why were the disciples in the boat? Because Jesus said, let's go over to the other side. Let's go over to the other side. He didn't say, all right, fellas, this is what we're going to do. We're going to get in the boat. We're going to go to the middle. There's going to be a big storm. We're all going to die. He didn't say that. Instead, he said, let's go to the other side. And when the circumstances of the storm became so great, what did they forget? They forgot who rules the seas, who rules the ocean, who is our creator that controls all things. It is Jesus Christ who does that. Did they deserve to be rebuked? I think they did. Jesus very tenderly speaks to Martha, but Jesus doesn't rebuke his disciples. Again, he rebuked the winds, not the disciples. That is such a wonderful thing. When you think about how he responded to Martha's question and how he responded to the disciples' question, that's a marvelous thing. Don't forget his reaction. Because it fits beautifully in with James chapter 1, verse 5. Remember in James, we're talking about trials and temptations and things like that. And then what does, G, what does James write? James says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. And the old King James said, upbraideth not. I don't even know what that means, except thankfully the NIV says, he never scolds. Never scolds. Doesn't matter how, time you go to Je- how many times you go to Jesus with your questions. It doesn't matter. He never scolds. He never rebukes. He understands who we are and what we are. If any of you lack wisdom, ask. He'll give it to you. He awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Well, they were filled with great fear. Great fear, if you write in your Bible, you can write the words awe and wonder. Because that's what it was. They were no longer afraid of the storm. They were now in awe of the person with whom they are. And they asked the question, who then is this? It's answered beautifully in Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. In Colossians 1, 13 and 14, it says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Who is he? Who is this that does that? He's the one that forgave our sins. He's the one that died for us. God cares for us. Here's the thing. David, he doesn't ask, do you care, God? Instead, David's like, why do you care? (laughs) Psalm 8, verse 1 says this, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You're the majestic one, David says. And then he says in verse 3, when I look at the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, What is man that you're mindful of him? David had the opposite reaction. Why are you even paying? Because he is the creator of the world and he loves us. Establishing rank, remembering who rules. Preeminence might be a word that fits in here. 
Jesus and His Word should be preeminent in our life because it is when we forget the Word of God that we allow circumstances to overwhelm us. It is when we forget that He has promised, He has said, this is what's going to happen. When we forget that, the circumstances overwhelm us. The disciples forgot what Jesus said. Jesus Jesus could have built a bigger boat, right? He's the creator. He could have said, okay, we just need a bigger boat. Jesus could have taken them immediately to the other side, transported them. But instead, he had them in the storm. There's a 19th century British preacher, and he says this, I do not pray for a lighter load, but for a stronger back. A stronger back that carries with it the understanding that Jesus Christ is preeminent. That Jesus Christ is the one. He got up, he rebuked the winds. The disciples shouldn't have been afraid. Jesus asked that question in verse 40. He says, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Remember, faith is built upon knowledge, right? We aren't asking you today to just leap into some oblivion. We're asking you today to trust in a person who has done marvelous and great things that are recorded in Scripture. If you just take the time in, um, in the book of Mark and look at Mark 1, 2, and 3, you'll find out that they had already seen John the Baptist preach about Jesus. They had already seen Jesus call disciples, Matthew, Peter, Andrew, James, all those guys. They had seen him rebuke an unclean spirit. They had seen him take a man with a withered hand and make it whole. They had seen him see a man come down out of the roof, down onto the ground, who was paralyzed, and they have seen him say to that man, stand up and walk. He's saying to them, do you still have no faith? Jesus has done all of these things. They still are missing the point that he is the preeminent, powerful one. He is the preeminent one that in the midst of our circumstances, he can take care of us. He can take care of us. But just like you, just like me, they failed to remember the Word of God. The the disciples were obedient. They just weren't faithful. And that happens to us. We begin in obedience, and instead of continuing to hold on to the Word of God and the truth and the reality of His Word, we begin to falter. My wife and I were just talking about this. It is a wonderful thing to be able to say, God called me to this place. It is a wonderful thing to be able to say, God is working with us. It is a wonderful thing to be able to say that this is what God has for me. So that when the circumstances begin to overwhelm and fill our boat, what are we able to say? God will take me through this. God will save me. God will get me through this because he called me, because he wants me to do this. It is his vision for me. Don't don't do this this morning, please. Don't get caught up and say, the storms of life, Jesus will be there for you as the lesson. That's not the message of this passage. Matthew 14, which we did, I can't remember how many weeks ago, but we did Matthew 14, and we talked about the storms and how Jesus is with you in the storms. That's what that passage was about. But this passage is about when we are in the storm, we need to remember the identity and authority of Jesus Christ. You see the difference? There's one thing to say, well, he's with me. The other thing is to assert in our minds that he has authority and majesty. He is the creator God. Again, you all 
will, are familiar with these passages, but Colossians 1.16 says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. This morning, the solution to the circumstances and the significance we crave is to rank Jesus Christ and listening to him and to establish and remember he is the one who rules in our lives. It is Jesus Christ. Before Brother Lance comes to talk about the, the, the ministry moment in the app, can I share a personal thing with you? Uh, I, I, I shared with you several times ago, my mother passed away. Uh, and uh, so we've been cleaning out her house. And God has a wonderful way of reminding us of things. And one of the things for this passage that happened for me was, my mom used to write on three by five cards. Just, she had them all over the place. And, and she had this one that was on the top of the stack that I got. And it says this, it says... Uh, Personally, God calls his people by name. Lovingly, he cares for his people. Wisely, he has a perfect plan. And then the questions are written here. Do you know him intimately? Is he on your mind? I think that fits today, doesn't it? Those are great questions to ask ourselves as we try to comprehend and understand how we handle significance and circumstances that all of us struggle with. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much. Uh, We are poor and needy. But you, Lord, are our help and our strength. God, you are our deliverer. You are the one to whom we turn. Help us. Help us to establish And to remember you, in Jesus' name, amen.